0: Philippians chapter number four this evening. And uh, Pastor Jason had called me this morning and said that he was not feeling well early this morning. So uh, I was looking over some things and Megan shared something this morning um, from some devotions. And it was kind of on this portion of scripture and it was kind of, I said, you know, that's really good. And I think I'm going to share... A little bit tonight about this as well. So I'll be looking at uh, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Um, and uh, we, we really live in a world that's full of stress and anxiety, don't we? I mean, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. There, there's demands on our lives, right? And they're always screaming for attention, right? Their own self-importance, their own need, their own need, whatever the demands are of life, okay? Uh, And sometimes the overwhelming feeling of anxiety and stress can cause us to to feel helpless. And sometimes it can cause us to feel like we don't have joy, maybe, we don't have peace. But that's not the way that God designed Christians to live. That's not the way that God wants the Christian life to be. Uh, So maybe that's why we we see these um, instructions or these uh, spiritual guidelines for us here in the book of Philippians in chapter 4, because the whole book of Philippians really is focused on joy, and having the joy of the Lord. Uh, and so um, here we have some spiritual principles about how to make sure that uh, our joy is, is in the right place. And that, that anxiety and that stress is not something that is constantly on our minds. Uh, and Paul wrote this book, The Inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that theme is joy. And so um, we just want to look tonight at some of these verses and, and how we can experience Christ's joy in our daily lives. How we can experience peace. Uh, the way that uh, it was designed to be uh, and especially the presence of Christ in our life uh, giving us that true peace. So we'll read verses four through nine and then we'll pray and we'll jump into our study tonight. And it says there in verse number four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Those things which you both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the the God of peace shall be with you. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time again that we have tonight and just add your blessing to the reading of your word, Lord, and help us as we look into this portion of scripture tonight to gain understanding from your word and what you have to say, God, about uh, the peace that we have in our lives through Jesus Christ, the joy uh, that is given, Lord, and that we can live a life uh, here that is free of anxiety and stress, Lord, of the things of this life, and help us to see those things well tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I mentioned this on Sunday evening, and I'm going to mention it again here, too, because one of the keys, I think, of Philippians is is the phrase that's in Christ. We see at the beginning of chapter 1, verse number 1, uh, and I'll read that again here. You can turn over there if you want just to look at it, Philippians 1 and verse number 1. Because Paul starts it in a very interesting way. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. And, and we mentioned, uh, just as a reminder on Sunday night, that we could very easily read that. That says, to all the saints in Christ, which are at Dublin First Baptist Church. We could also read it that way because that's who it's written to today. Uh, and, and verse t- uh, number one of chapter two also talks about the things that are in Christ All right, and then we're rejoicing in the Lord. So there are these things that Paul is uh, connecting throughout the whole uh, book as well. But we look first at a rejoicing heart in verses four and five a rejoicing heart and joy, that theme of the letter. So joy comes first of all from knowing Christ as Savior. Uh, 1 Peter 1 8 says this Whom having not seen, uh, speaking of Christ, ye love. In whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That salvation that gives us joy unspeakable. And I'm sure that was amazing to Peter. Peter had seen Christ and had seen the risen Christ and probably astounded and amazed and excited knowing the people he was written to had not experienced that the same way he had and yet still believed in Jesus Christ and same for us today. But you must be saved and have a relationship with Christ. You have to have his presence in you for that joy to be there. And joy also comes from abiding with Christ, the daily walking with Him, being in communion with Him through prayer, through Bible reading. Uh, so, we've been talking about it on Sunday night in, in our Sunday night study. So, joy comes with abiding. Joy comes from knowing that God is in control of all things. It's a hard one for all of us, a hard one for me. Uh, and so, this joy that we're talking about, this peace, is not some kind of man made sunny day optimism like that we see sometimes. But as instead it's a foundation, it's built on a never-changing presence of God in our lives. And joy that is like this cannot be taken away, no matter what the circumstances of our lives are. Romans 12:12 12, 12 tells us this: rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And some of those things that are in Romans 12:12 12, 12, we're going to look at tonight, the Lord willing as well. But rejoicing itself means this, showing great joy and delight over someone or something. Showing great joy or delight. Biblical rejoicing is showing great joy and delight in something that is eternal. And that's why it cannot be taken away, because it's eternal. Spiritual things that cause us to rejoice cannot be taken away. So our question right here is this, do you delight in Jesus? Do you delight in Christ? Are you rejoicing at the things of life which make us more like Christ? it's not always an easy thing for us to do. But sometimes we have to look at it and see what is the eternal weight of glory that it's producing in us. And we have joy and great delight over those things that are making us more like Christ, rejoicing in Jesus. But also joy produces gentleness. And we see that in verse number five. If you have the King James, it says moderation. Some of you may have a a modern English one that says gentleness there in the place of moderation. All right, that's a very interesting word that Paul has chosen, uh, the Greek word, the original Greek word, uh, which is epikeia, uh, and it means patience or softness. It means a patient mind, uh, but it could also be talking about like clemency, you know, governor sometimes can grant clemency to someone who's in prison, Uh, yieldedness. Okay, there's some different things there that give us an idea, and there's a similar verse or a similar idea to Philippians 4 5 that's found in James 5, 8 through 9. So if you'll go with me to the book of James, chapter 5, and we'll read there, verses 8 and 9, James 5, 8 and 9, and it says this there in James 5, 8 and 9, be ye also patient, Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. And the same idea there as well. Let your moderation be sown. Let your gentleness be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand, as is in our main text tonight. So the idea behind this word here really is showing a holy gentleness. It's probably why some of the modern English say gentle. Yielding the situations of life to God's hand. So we have a really good example in scripture of what a holy gentleness looks like. And that would be found, uh, and we won't turn there for sake of time, but in, in John chapter 8 verses 3 to 11, we have the account of the woman that was caught in adultery and brought before Jesus. I think we're all pretty familiar with that uh, portion of Scripture. We've heard it before. We've heard it preached before. But, you know, in there, the Pharisees basically use this woman. They entrap her to try to entrap Jesus. The whole thing was a setup to try to get him to answer the wrong way. You know, Pharisees said she's a scribe. They were always trying to get Jesus to say the wrong thing. Uh, And so that's what the whole setup was, of course. But uh, it's Jesus' actions towards the woman that reveal the holy gentleness. Because after he had written on the ground all, whatever he was writing, all the other people left, and what did he say to her? I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. So there was a holy gentleness and a compassion in the way that Jesus Christ dealt with this woman who was caught in adultery. And that's a really good example for us to look at. We also have a, an idea of yieldedness to God and, and, and what that means to me. And that's describing a person who lets the Lord fight his battles. They're not taking ownership of the things that, that happen. I'll, I'll give you this, Romans 12, 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place in the wrath, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So this person doesn't try to get even with those people that, are, that, that wrong him. And notice again back in Philippians that that this moderation, this gentleness is to be known or is to be shown to all people. So sometimes our brothers and sisters in Christ wrong us, intentionally or unintentionally. We're to show that holy gentleness to them, which can be easy sometimes because it's our brother and sister in Christ. But you know, we're supposed to show that holy gentleness to the unsaved as well. That may not be as easy sometimes. But the holy gentleness, that attitude that Christ had is to be shown to them as well. Let me ask you this question, and don't have to raise your hand. We don't have a testimony time because we'd all have to raise our hand, including me. But have you ever been awake at night thinking about all the things that you could have and should have said to so-and-so whenever they hurt your feelings? Right? You wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, man, if I just, you know, We've all maybe, left. we were really honest, we've probably all lost a little bit of sleep about that, but that's not the holy gentleness that we're talking about here with the moderation. That's the anxious thoughts that the world has. That's the anxiety, that, that the stress, that, that does not yield peace in our lives. That's why the last part of that verse is so important. The Lord is at hand. The Christian who lives in the light of the Lord's return can be at peace, knowing that when he comes... All the wrongs will be made right. Jesus is going to set everything in order that's out of order. And so we don't have to fret about when things go wrong. We don't have to sit up and stress and be anxious all night because of the government or the inflation or whatever it is. The way unsaved people live. We don't have to do those things because God is going to make all things right one day. We can live without anxiety now knowing that we can give a holy gentleness and pass that on to others as well. So we see there the, rejoice, the rejoicing heart. Let's look at the prayerful heart. The prayerful heart in verses 6 and 7. I'll read that again. The prayerful heart. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So leave anxiety behind. Leave that behind. And, and, and the King James does say careful. You may have one that says anxious. It's the same idea. The careful there is not, hey, be cautious, you know, watch where you step. It's not that kind of be careful. The careful here is someone who is full of the cares of this world. Full of the things that are distracting, the things in this world that make us anxious, that make us stressed out, that take away or threaten to take away the peace that we have. Uh, Let's look over at Matthew uh, chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, if you'll go there with me. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, here Jesus uh, speaks to this particular uh, subject as well. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, we'll read that together, and then we'll jump over to verse 31. Matthew 6:25 says this, "Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment?" And then over to verse thirty one, jump there. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth what ye have need of, that, that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. The morrow the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. The person who is anxious or careful in this particular sense of Philippians 4.6 is one who is so full of the cares of the world that they are uh, anxious and nervous and stressed out about uh, having enough or whether they're going to eat again or what they're going to eat. And all these things are just full of the cares of this life. Their mind is not focused on Christ. And so instead of being anxious Back in our main text, instead of being anxious about all those things, Paul says here, pray about all these things. Pray about these. Pray about everything in everything in prayer and supplication. And understand that. There's not, there's not this group of things over here or this list of items that God says, these are the things I want you to pray about. These are the things I want you to pray for. These are the things that you that you bring to me in prayer. But over here, here's a list, here's a group of things, and I really don't want you to talk to me about them. Just kind of do your own thing. That's that's not the way that God is. That's not the way that God operates. That's not who God is. He says in everything, pray about everything. And so we should. We should come before him in everything. There's nothing that's too small for God. There's nothing that's uh, insignificant. God wants us to pray about everything. One commentator that I read this morning that was talking about this particular section said this, prayer is the antidote to worry. You know what an antidote is, right? I usually think about it with poison specifically, you know, like if you get snake bit or something, you want the antidote, right? (laughs) Okay, the antidote. It's the antidote for worry. Often we spend more time worrying about things than we do praying about them, don't we? We fail to pray about it as much as we should. And so the opening line of verse 6 is a command, not a suggestion. The reality is is that we are often anxious and prayerless. Here's what we're saying we're saying, God, you can't handle this. I got to take it on myself. When we're trying to do those things, when, when, when we're not, when we are anxious, when we are prayerless, we're intruding into the realm that God should have in our lives. We're trying to place ourselves in control of the situation. Okay? Uh, and oftentimes situations are out of our control anyway. So another person said this, it makes us the father of the house and not the child. And isn't it great to know that God is the father? I don't have to worry about those things. You know? we don't have to worry about those things because God is our father. God is concerned for all of our lives, not just one small part. And so a lot of times we're like holding back on something or we're trying to control something. We're trying to grip it tightly because we don't want to let it go in an effort to control what we cannot control. And that causes anxiety. That takes away that peace. It removes that joy in our hearts. Paul gives us here several things to pray about and pray for says, first of all, prayer. What is that? It's a worshipful attitude, coming before God with a worshipful attitude. And supplication is mentioned there. Supplication is a need. We have supplications in our lives and we have things that are going on that that we want uh, to bring before God, a need, a request. That's mentioned in verse number six. That's a, a specific concern. We mentioned a few specific concerns tonight before we began our, our uh, Bible study this evening in our service. And there were a lot of specific concerns I would imagine that didn't get mentioned, but they're on our hearts and minds anyway. And then Thanksgiving. Let it be known with Thanksgiving. That's just what shapes our prayers, right? Our prayers are shaped with Thanksgiving, with gratitude for, to God for all that he's done, all that he will do. Our prayer is shaped by thanksgiving to him and gratitude and constantness. But God's peace also brings power. God's peace also brings power. And this is the power that to endure a troubling situation when explanations fail us. Have you ever been in a troubling situation where there was no explanation seemingly? And the Bible speaks of three different types of peace. Uh, that that are in association with God. I'm going to give you all three of those, and, and there's only one word different that kind of makes the distinction. The first one the Bible talks about is peace from God, peace from God. That kind of peace is a gift that God gives us. Often, whenever the epistle writers like Paul or Peter or James or John, whoever's writing, they open their letter by saying, may the peace of God be with you, or they close the letter by saying, may the peace of God be with you. May this gift that God gives, this peace, may it be with you. It's a gift from Him. But then there's also peace with God. There's peace with God. That's a type of peace that's in the Scriptures. But peace with God can only come when a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're reconciled to Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the peace with God. And the only way it comes is that way. And then there's what's talked about here the peace of God. The peace of God. And look back at verse 7 again and notice that it not only is it the peace of God in verse 7, but it passes all understanding. It passes all understanding. It's beyond our ability to understand it, to explain it. It's the type of peace that can only be experienced by a person who's in the midst of something. It's the type of peace that also correlates with what Jesus said in John 14, 27, where he said, peace I leave with you, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The peace that Jesus gives is not the kind of peace this world can give. It's a peace that passes understanding. It's a peace that you can only experience, that you can't explain. Think about this for a minute. And again, this would be another thing where we could, if we had time, we could take a testimony. People could raise their hand. Have you ever been in a situation in your life, a trial, something that was really difficult to go through, And yet in the midst of that, you just had a constant peace. You just had a constant peace. Right in the middle of all that was going on around you. And you couldn't explain it. I mean, there was troubling times and there was probably pain and there was hurt and there was unexplainable things. But you just had a peace in your mind and your heart in the midst of that trial. I think we'd all probably say yes to that too if we could. That's the peace that passes all understanding. That's that peace that's being talked about right there. That in the midst of things that are going on all around us, we're not anxious and we're not worried and we're not stressed out. We have a peace. There's also a very interesting word in verse 7 that's used here as well. There was an interesting word earlier in in verse 4, 5. Now here's one in 7. The King James renders the word keep. You may have the word guard. Okay? Okay? Uh, but uh, I, I had to practice this with the uh, R rolling, too. It's "Frureo." had to listen to it a couple of times on the computer. You know, it tells you how to say it. But it's a military term. When it says "Keep," when it says "guard," this is a military term. This is like military uh, people guarding their military base kind of thing. you know? We go up to Fort Bragg once a week on Thursday night for Teddy to be in civil air patrol. And, and they've got the big gate there, you know, and they've got the people standing by. And some of them will be a little jovial with you when you show them your ID. And some of them are like, okay, show me your stuff. You're good. All right, now you can go. They're very business, you know. But they're guarding. They've got a job, right? They've got a very important job. They're protecting. They're guarding. That's what's here. It's a military action. Keeping your mind in the same way that a military uh, a group or a mili- whatever you call it guards the base. And I thought about this too, In, in medieval days, you know, castles and knights and horses and all that, the strongest part of the castle, the most defended, the most secure part of the castle was called a keep. It was called a keep. That was the most secure place that you could be in there. So here's the thing, God's peace is guarding your minds and your hearts because the peace of God should be and is, if you're doing these things, ruling in your life. You're rejoicing in the Lord. You're allowing God to fight your battles. You're praying about everything. You're having that holy gentleness. There is peace in your heart and your mind, and it is guarded and protected because it is in the most secure place it can be. So here's what God is saying to us tonight in that. He says, stop trying to hold on to and control the things of this life. Stop trying to live your life apart from me. Stop holding on to the things that are here and let me be God in your life. Because my peace is guarding and keeping you in the most secure thing. Your hearts and your minds being protected. So if God's peace is guarding us, what are our minds to be set on? Then, if we're not to have our minds set on these things, what are our minds to be set on? Is it, is it nothing? And the answer to that is no. And that leads us to the very last point, which is a mindful heart. A mindful heart. Verses 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. So in this mindful heart, we have where to place our minds. Where to place our minds. These characteristics in verse 8 are where our minds should be. It's part of the proper function of the Christian mind. These characteristics that are listed out for us in verse number 8. The qualities of verse 8 give us peace in our minds because if our minds are set on those things, they will not be set on the cares of the world. They'll not be set on worldly things, things that will cause anxiety and stress in our life. This is a good verse, by the way, to learn and just kind of keep in your mind, right? (laughs) Uh, it can help us uh, develop the right kind of thinking, the right kind of mind in many different applications, okay? And notice I said applications there, not interp- there's one interpretation, can be many applications, okay? Uh, but most of the words in this list, I think, are pretty self-explanatory, right? They're, they're pretty easy to understand. There are a few I want to point out just uh, for contrast sake here. But, you know, we have true, but then we also have the word honest. That word is kind of like noble. What is noble? What is noble? Pure, another word there. Holy in relation to God. That's got to be the standard. God's holiness is a standard of holiness that should be ours as well. The Bible says Leviticus and 1 Peter, be holy for I am holy. So pure, what is pure? What is lovely? What is attractive in the spiritual sense? In virtue, moral excellence. That's something our world could use a little bit more of, right? Some moral excellence, right? Some virtue. So we are to hold on to, we are to think about, as it says at the end of verse 8, we're to meditate on these things, these characteristics, instead of meditating and thinking about the things of this world. Instead of thinking about, like we said earlier, you know, where's the food coming from, where's the clothes coming from, or other big things that we have in our minds. Romans twelve two says this, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And what that's telling me here is this, is that, you know, it's not going to come naturally. It's something that we've got to set our minds to. It's something we've got to pray about. Something we've got to yield ourselves to. It's not necessarily going to come naturally to us. And so if we want to have this mind, we're going to have to get into God's word every day. We're going to have to remind ourselves from time to time, you know, is what I'm thinking about right now true? Is it helpful? Is it honorable? Is it helping me? We have to have a transformed and renewed mind because here's the thing we have to continually fight against our flesh nature, right? Even though our our old nature is dead, that temptation rises up in us still sometimes, doesn't it? And the other thing is the world is still screaming at us all the time to live for yourself and do whatever you want to do and get all you can. The world philosophy hits us every day. So we have to be intentional about renewing our minds. We have to be intentional about thinking about these things. 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So bringing every thought captive, I think this list is probably a, a very practical way of doing just that, of how can we bring these thoughts captive to the knowledge of God, the obedience of Christ? Are they true? Are they honest? Are they just and on, bringing those thoughts into captivity. And the last point there, just do it. I, I, I tried really hard. I'm sorry. I tried really hard to think of a really catchy last point, but all I got was the Nike slogan. Okay, so <laughs> just do it. Be, Paul says here, follow me as an example. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be followers of me as I I also of Christ. Paul is following Christ. Paul is leaving an example behind to follow as well. Follow me in that way of the same. And Paul's making connection here in verse 9. There's, there's the word learn. There's the word received. There's the word heard. There's the word seen. So there's this balance. There's these connection. It'd be very easy to learn something sometimes, isn't it? But until you receive it, you may not know it as well as you think. Sometimes, you know, and I, I would think back, I've done this before, but you learn something quickly so you can get the right answer on a test, and then you forget about it, right? All right. Then you don't even know what it was supposed to be because you just wanted to get the right answer. And I've done that before. But there's a difference between learning and receiving. There's a difference between hearing and seeing, right? You can hear about it. Now, some people are really good at this. I'm not one of those, but you can hear it and just do it, right? Some people in here, you may be a visual learner, right? If you watch somebody do it while they explain to you how to do it, you could probably do it yourself, right? You can hear it and see it, and then you can repeat it, right? That's that's a visual learner. That's okay. And, And so there's those connections. There's those balance there. But it's all about action. What are we doing? Modern English translations may say practice instead of do. But the idea is the same. Don't just learn it. But hear it. Do it. Practice it daily. If you have a skill, you have to practice it daily. Or you lose that skill. You have to do it every day. Especially if you want to improve. And that's where we are at sometimes. Many Christians, we we fail to do these things sometimes as Christians. We fail to practice them. And then we wonder, why is there so much stress and anxiety in my life right now? What is going on? Well, are we doing? Are we practicing? Are we learning and receiving? Are we hearing and seeing? That's why Paul is able a little bit further down in uh, the same chapter to say, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Because he has learned these things that he's already talked about. He's able to be content. Look at verses 11 through 13. Remember that Paul was in prison when he wrote this. He says this, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatever state I'm in, therewith to be content. He's in prison. I'm content. I know both how to be a base and how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Why is he able to do those things? Because he's not trusting in the circumstance or the situation. He's trusting in the God who's in control of the circumstances and the situations. That's what he's trusting in. That's where his peace is coming from. It's not coming from the situation that he has an abundance of things. It's coming from the situation that he has an abundant God who loves him very much. That's the same place that our peace and our contentment come from in whatever situation that we're in. And so back to verse 9. If the peace is with you and you're doing those things that Paul is describing with you, then the God of peace is with you. And I... I'll give you two things from John Piper to kind of, I think, sum up that phrase, the God of peace. When we're doing those things, when we're practicing, when our hearts and minds are guarded and kept, we enjoy the God of peace when we act in ways that accord with the peace of God. Or he said it this way too. When you're thinking and doing reflect the peace of God, in other words, you're practicing the things in verses four through eight, then the God of peace Will be with you. And that's the idea that's there. The peace of God will be with you. Why will it be with you? The God of peace will be with you. Because you are practicing, you're doing, your focus is in the right place, your mind is in the right place, and you're beginning to receive that peace from God that only He can give. So Paul's instructing us through this epistle that true joy and true peace can be for the Christian. We miss out on that blessing sometimes when our thinking is not always in line with God's will. So tonight, maybe you need to surrender something to God. Maybe you need to stop holding on to something that you really can't control anyway. Maybe you need to respond with yieldedness or holy gentleness in the situations. True peace is found in Christ for all those who trust in him. And I hope that that uh, is the theme that we take from this evening. I'll ask the praise team to come back up here at this time, and we'll sing a few more songs as we close our service tonight.